1: I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every night I come out here and tell you what happened during the day, why it happened, and what you can do with the information. I do it in order to help you be a better do-it-yourself investor or a better client. I do it with a spectacular team of people headed by an executive producer, Regina Gilgan, who has been with me since inception. And with the help of dozens of fabulous people who are responsible for everything from all the look and feel of the show to the research, we have a team that helps me with memos that back up the research. And we have a head writer who is really our only writer, has been our only writer since inception when he was a freshman in high school. That's Cliff Mason, my sister Nan, and her husband Todd's son, my nephew. Now, the show, after years and years, has become a bit of a labor of love. We've been doing it for so darn long. We take it for granted what we do. And tonight, you know what? I'm going to change that and correct it. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the show, its evolution, and how you can best use it, or worse, misuse it. And I'm doing so because there's so much we throw at you that you might not be able to use it as effectively as we would like. I know this because I talk to enough people about the show and interact with enough people through email and callers as well as, of course, Twitter at Jim Kramer that I have a pretty good idea why you come here and what you really want. Now, the show has evolved mightily from when we started. show, by the way, was an outgrowth of a radio show. It was called Real Money. It's where we first heard Booyah, by the way, which I did in conjunction with a company I started called The Street. Still going strong, still write for it every day under the paid site, also known as Real Money, and I managed my charitable trust from those auspices. When we started the show, people were thirsting for specific investment ideas. I was happy to comply. But the stock market changed over time. We got hit with the Great Recession, which challenged what we call the entire asset class of stocks, meaning stocks as a way to save and make money. We had many companies, big companies, particularly in the financial world, destroyed by the downturn, mostly because they had lent a lot of money and didn't have enough money in the bank to handle the losses that came from a dramatic decline in economic activity. It was a credit crisis. I am proud of the fact that if you watch me, you might have avoided a lot of the downturn because I shouted from the rooftops that the Fed was nuts. They were nuts! And that the situation was far worse than anyone realized. No matter. I always find it tad ironic that while even the Fed acknowledged in its minutes that I was the only guy saying that things were falling apart, I was also the only guy in the media who was vilified for not telling people to sell. Ah, damn if you do, damn if you don't. But that year has changed. And it changed me it changed the show. It was more of a metamorphosis, nothing radical, although not imperceptible, because I added some language at the very top of the show was meant to describe a new manifesto, a new reason for being. I now say every night in some form or another that the show is meant to educate, to entertain, to teach. And I say it different times in different ways each night. That's very important and very different from the original show, a total break in a lot of ways, because I think that it's just not enough to give you stock ideas. In fact, we've deliberately minimized them over the last, well, decade. We want for you to be able to understand the process and to pick them for yourself. Or more important, we want you to understand the stock market enough for you to make a judgment whether you can do it yourself. Now, me, I love individual stocks. have for for years and years and years. I think they can be tremendous vehicles that can lead to great wealth. Our show's identification with certain stocks, literally from the get-go, stocks like Apple, uh, Chipotle, PepsiCo, Salesforce, Honeywell, Starbucks, and yes, Bristol-Myers hasn't gone unnoticed. But ever since we changed the show, we have tried to leave behind the so-called new ideas or the hot ideas and instead tried to give you themes that allow you to invest in more fertile sectors versus others. Themes that I hope I can make come alive with analogies, sports, movies, whatever, so you can do the homework on them. Themes like the new frugality, post the Great Recession, or living longer through healthy eating habits, social, mobile, cloud, connectivity investments. I've written many books over time. Proud of that. I know the Confessions of a Street Addict by Autobiography written four years ago before the show began remains a favorite. But I've got to tell you, I think that Get Rich Carefully is designed to be this new show's companion. A lot of what I talk about in the show, if you're having trouble, Get Rich will do it. I'm cognizant that the market is hard. You've got time burdens. You've got demands. You may be bewildered despite my attempts to try to make things clear. That's why I've emphasized that I am not just OK with index funds, but I insist that you use them. I would not own a single stock until I put away at least $10,000 in an index fund, either through your IRA or your 401k. While I have addressed saving for retirement and saving for tuition and emergencies in many shows, I have not ever point blank warned you off individual stocks. So let me do this on so tonight. I would actually vastly prefer you to invest in index funds than be, say, in mutual funds. Mutual funds have not distinguished themselves enough to be able to take the percentages they do. Now, there are always individual cases where individual managers do acquit themselves. But managers uh, move on record uh, and records can change and past performance. Of course, there's no guarantee, all that jazz. Which brings me to point number one of this show. I am not a shill or a snake oil salesman for individual stocks. I am a believer in the asset class of stocks as part of an overall way to save money for retirement, tuitions, vacations, anything your heart desires. I do want you to have what is known as exposure, that's a technical term, to the stock market. And I try mightily to convince you that it is worth it to do so, because stocks have indeed created so much wealth over time. If you don't believe me, why don't you read Warren Buffett's amazing golden anniversary report that describes why stocks are tremendous as an asset class to own. He makes a great brief for them. Why do they work? Because they represent the sum progress of business and the prospects for business going forward. They represent the wealth that companies create in aggregate and the sharing of that wealth with shareholders. You get to be along for the ride, and I want you to be along for that ride in a responsible way, which is most definitely owning an index fund. I'm partial to the S&P 500, But I also like a fund that gives you a total return or a fund that encompasses all the stocks in the market and offering that is often found among various fund houses. If you aren't offered one, then, of course, go to the S&P 500. Once again, for those who don't get it, here's my bottom line. The show has changed over time from one where we pick stocks for you to one where we educate you about stocks so you can understand why an index fund of stocks might be worth investing in. There's only one problem. We know you like stocks, too, or you wouldn't be watching or need to watch, which is why when we come back, we will explain to you why we bother to delve in individual stocks at all after we have progressed, professed, I mean, such undying love these days for index funds as the first way to go. Larry in Massachusetts. Larry. Jim, I know I've mentioned it
0: before, but I just want to tell you how much your nightly focus lessons remind me of Roosevelt's fireside chat.
1: <laughs> well, President Roosevelt was screaming. Uh, Larry, thank you. Sometimes my mom says, just say thank you. Thank you, Larry.
0: We need you out
1: here, Jim. Thank you.
0: Here's the question for tonight. When does an investment turn into a trade? We don't chase a stock. We don't right. accumulate too many stocks to have to monitor. So how quickly? And at what percentage gain do we unload a small position, which has gotten out of control, high-quality problem? And conversely, how quickly and at what percentage loss do we admit, we admit that we got it wrong?
1: Okay, I, I have shorthand for these. I like to take off now. My, you know, my rules have evolved. Uh, you, you, when you're up 50%, you take off 25. And when you're up 100%, you take off, yes, all of your initial investment. Then you play with the House's money. And you say, thank you very much and you got a good gain. Uh, Investment into trade, well, we don't do that. If something's an investment, it's labeled an investment, it is an investment. If you didn't get enough in when a stock came down and then moved up, you can kick that out for a trade. An investment becomes a trade when you didn't get the whole position on. Greg in New York, Greg. Greg, Jim, I feel like we speak every day. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, Greg. How about you? I'm doing well. I just got a quick question. Me and my friends are pretty young investors. We're in our young 20s. I just want to know You think it's worth taking more risk when you're younger and you don't have as much, when you don't have enough money, uh, to kind of put more, uh, to to, you know, put more money on the line and and try to seek the higher profit? Greg, listen, listen to me, Greg. Yeah, I didn't start with much money, um, but I took big risks because I had my whole life ahead of me. You've got your whole life ahead. If you buy some stocks and they go down big, you got that paycheck coming. It's only older people who are further down the line who don't have enough paychecks left. You take that big risk. That's what I want. Chris in Oregon. Chris.
0: Yes, Jim, thank you for taking my question. And thank you very much for all the great advice you've given me. Every position in my portfolio is Captain Kramer approved and doing very nicely.
1: (laughs) You're very glad, Chris. Thank you so much. How can I help? Uh, My question is I have a IRA uh,
0: equity portfolio that I don't plan to draw on for about five more years. And everything then is obviously reinvested into it. My question is about... Uh, dividends. Does it matter whether you reinvest those dividends back in the stock that generated
1: them or just reinvest them in the fund in general? All right, I just I have anytime you can reinvest dividend, just reinvest dividend. it's a hard and fast move. just always reinvest those so dividend. power of compounding. one of the greatest single things that can happen to your money is the compounding of dividends. Okay, teach a man to fish? Sure, the show's evolved. But our mission remains the same, to make you, the home gamer, a better investor, no matter what you invested. In. I'm in your corner. Plenty of Mad Money ahead, including how to plug into one of the market's biggest sources of wealth over the last few decades. Plus, it can be a huge way to win, but also a massive catastrophe if you're not careful. Don't miss this important advice, and I'm taking your tweets. Mad Money will be back after the break.
0: Kramer will always go the extra mile, traveling the country and telling the most valuable stories. Start your investment journey with mad money and let Kramer help map out your financial future. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com.
1: We've started this show explaining why we teach what we teach and why you want to own index funds to capture the profits and opportunities of stocks in aggregate. For those of you who come away from this show saying, we tout stocks every night and think index funds are a waste of time, what can I say? We aren't ever going to change you over. We're not going to win you. And we do know that you don't even bother to watch. That's fine. We can live with it. So why then do we even bother to do the show other than I like to be compensated for doing something if I like index funds that much? You know what? It's a terrific question, actually. Surely I could have retired by now. I did well in a previous life at broker at Goldman Sachs, hedge fund manager, gave my investors, of which I evolved to want be one of the largest, a compound return after all fees of 24% when the Standard & Poor's Index gave you an 8% return during the same period. I will come back to that number, so hold on to it. But I mention it now because I am lucky enough to be able to do what I want to do at this stage of my life. Every now and then again, I'm tempted to thinking maybe I should go back and be a hedge fund manager. But whenever that occurs, I remember that my late father thought I was much happier doing what I do now. And he thought it would be a mistake to go back to that old life because he thought it was too hard. Plus, he thought the show was terrific and really helpful and was my biggest backer in what I, what, what I was trying to accomplish here. Thanks, Bob. So why ever talk about individual stocks then? First, we know that someone must want the information. or We wouldn't have lasted as long as we have. In the end, this is a commercial product. And the market has judged this commercial product to be worth something. If it weren't, I would have been canceled years ago. Second, though, I do it because of six stocks. National Video. You don't have to write these down. This is history. National Video, American Agronomics, ST Technologies, also known as Standard Press Steel, Giant Foods, Heinz, and Gantos. These six stocks are at the core of why I think this show can play a role in your financial education and get you to the point where you make fewer errors and have more of a chance to make money longer term. If you choose to invest in individual stocks as well as index funds, remember index funds are preferable for the vast majority of you. But I know that, that you're going to want to buy individual stocks anyway, or you wouldn't be watching Mad Money, which brings me to the first of six stocks that are at the genesis of the show, National Video. When I was growing up, my father's broker knew a broker. My, I'm sorry, my father's brother knew a broker, and that broker's name was Jack. I met Jack once. I recall he, had, he played a lot of tennis. He had a really good backhand. My father worked hard. After the war, he started at Gimbel's, a now defunct department store, selling men's slacks, gabardines. When it was clear he wasn't ever going to get promoted, he decided to strike out on his own with his brother, first selling carpet and then toy games, and then ultimately boxes and bags, gift boxes, you know what I mean, to retailers. Those who have heard my father's eulogy delivered the day after he died in November of 2014 know that my dad had a really hard business life. He and his brother started the National Gift Wrap and Box Company to supply merchants with everything they needed to box, wrap, and bag whatever they sold to their customers. Well, he never had much competition. His customers were always going under, and he was on the road quite a bit trying to find, that, find those new ones. I remember endless days of discouragement. I was growing up. You know, those were the days when my mom would tell me, go to your room. Go to your room before Pop got home because he had a hard day and didn't make any sales, or customers were cruel to him. It was tough for him to save. He had money in a bank account and savings and loan, but it didn't pay much interest. And I knew he was always deathly afraid he couldn't pay the bills. So one day, Pop said he knew what he has. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to buy the stock of national video because Pop's brother had heard from Jack, the guy with the good backhand who was a broker, that it was the next big thing. The stock of the millennium, so to speak, or at least of the roaring 1960s. At first, the stock went up dramatically, and I could tell that Pop was elated, and he bought more of it and more of it because it was going higher. Yeah, in fact, that was uh, really about all Pop knew about national video. Pop didn't follow an intraday; He either found out how it was doing by reading the five-star evening bulletin, at one point one of the biggest papers in the country, which uh, came out at the close of the market, or he'd turn on the radio and they would list a lot of closing prices on the station he put on, including the heavily traded national video, and he'd cheer. He even encouraged me to follow it. I have told you in the past about how I kept the Journal of Stocks that I followed back in the fourth grade. I didn't know any more about the companies behind those stocks beyond what Pop knew about national video. But I wasn't playing with real money. He was. Sure enough, after Pop had put a sizable amount of his life savings into national video on the way up, it started going down. Like many people, Pop didn't know what to do. So he would check in with his brother, who checked in with Jack, who told his brother, who told Pop that all was well and he should keep buying national video, which he did. Well, all I can say is that I am glad for two things. One is that Pop never borrowed money to buy national video. And two, stocks blessedly stop at zero on the way down. Pop lost everything. Everything. I didn't notice the changes back then, but let's put it this way. We didn't take much vacation, and we sure didn't stay at the Ritz-Carlton of the Four Seasons when we went away. I remember Ritz Ritz Mock Apple Pie, made with the crackers. But there was an important takeaway here from this national video incident that suffuses the very fundament of this show. People are going to be tempted to own individual stocks to save or augment their paycheck. It's just a fact. One of the precepts of mad money is to know how to invest in an individual stock if you're going to do so. Think of the mistakes my father made with national video, and you will know why this show is set up the way it is. First, he didn't know anything about it. So he had no idea how the company was doing, how risky it was, how it could go down as well as up, and how it could go under. He relied on a stockbroker friend of his brother. He had done no work on it at all. So he was at the mercy of the movement of the stock, and he only knew to continue to buy rather than to cut his losses. That's right. He had a tip. He bought the tip up and down If you're doing no work, and he lost everything. Substantial chunk of his life savings. So let me give you the bottom line. Here are the many takeaways from the National Video story. Tips, as I like to say, are for waiters. Two, you must do homework if you're going to own individual stocks. Three, if you can't do homework, then own an index fund. And four, if you fear losing money, don't own stocks at all, because they can go down as well as up, as was the case with National Video. Which, by the way, I still don't know what it does. Yeah, I can Google it, but that's for another chapter in tonight's story. After the break, I'll try to make you more money.
0: So Booyah Jim, congratulations on a great show Mad
1: Money is not a show about picking stocks for you It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself
0: This is Bill from New York, Jim, thanks so much
1: Hey Jim, this is Curtis from North Carolina I wanted to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money
0: The man, the myth, the legend The wizard of Wall Street
1: This is Stuffy from Philly And I want to give a good Booyah You are the reason why we do this
0: TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter.
1: Welcome back to a real special show of shows, meaning a show describing what this show is about and why I do it to begin with. First, we covered that... that I don't even want you to buy an individual stock until you own a diversified index fund and own enough to make it so it's always going to be the biggest part of your savings, never stocks. We don't call the show Mad Money for Nothing. We're using mad money only to buy stocks. The rest goes into index funds. Next, we learn how not to invest, buying a stock national video ignorantly through a tip from a broker via a brother and then riding it all the way up and then all the way down. <laughs>
0: That, was easy.
1: that wouldn't happen with an index fund, uh, but we respect the right everyone has to try to invest in individual stocks. Even as we recognize that my father, had he diversified, he didn't do an index fund if they existed back then, or at least a basket of stocks might have had a lot more to show for it. Which brings me to the second stock object lesson of the night, American agronomics. Initially, when I got out of school, I knocked around as a reporter covering sports and government in Tallahassee, where I made about $150, $153 a week, and then homicide in L.A., after winning some awards for my coverage of the Ted Bundy murders in the Florida Capitol. I didn't make much money either there, but I knew to open an IRA and to save money. My dad told me to do it. So whatever little money I had automatically went to the Fidelity Magellan Mutual Fund. That was run by Peter Lynch, the best investor of his day. But like my dad... I was, I was determined to try to augment that mutual fund and my paycheck by buying individual stocks for personal account. However, I, I was going to do it the right way, by researching the stocks, getting edge through the research, not through the brother, through the broker, all that stuff. Where was I going to get that edge? I figured, why not read all the periodicals that covered stocks? There were so many of them back then. I was helping to start a magazine called American Lawyer, a trade publication devoted to the profession of law. And because of an ascetic lifestyle and a kind sister let me crash in her studio apartment in the village for a bit, I was actually able to save some money. In fact, I saved more than $200 beyond my contributions to my IRA and decided to use that definition of mad money to buy Buy, buy, buy. the stock of American agronomics. Why? Because I read an article in Forbes magazine, which which we uh, got at work, and that article said that this orange grower was doing incredibly well, and I'd be on the ground floor if I bought it. So I picked up 10 shares of this $9 stock. 10 shares. Oh, I was in on the ground floor all right. You know what ground floor I was in on? I was in on the cheap linoleum ground floor that I ended up sipping that cutty Sark on. Yeah, because the frost promptly wiped out the orange crop and destroyed my investment. Hmm, I should have given up right there. I didn't. I just changed my M.O. What I didn't uh, give up on, though, was the idea of buying a stock off a well-researched article in a good periodical and then letting it ride. It didn't hit me about a better way to do it, though, so I got a call from an old friend of mine, high school friend, who said that a local steel mill, which made precision steel, it's called SPS at that point, was hiring if I was looking for a high-paying job. They had a lot of orders and they were desperate for workers. Hey, my friend didn't know. you knew that I was struggling for extra money. He knew that I might want another job. Hey, uh, those calls in the middle of a recession from a friend for a job, they can be like gold. But I said, nah, I was happy where I was. But I decided, why not look into SPS and see how it was doing as a company, as a stock? So I went to the Midtown Library in New York, that's where they had all the periodicals, and promptly read up on anything and everything that was SPS, which then changed to ST Technologies. They had everything at that library, business periodicals, value lines, some Wall Street research, even you name it. And here's what I discovered. First, there wasn't much known or written about SPS. And second, what was written was pretty darn negative. My first thought was to say, oh, well, eh, it's not doing that well. Bummer. But then I realized, hold it. My information is the most current possible. I got a guy telling me they can't handle the business they have and need to add additional shifts of unskilled labor like me, but the periodical's all read negatively about it. In other words, I had insight nobody else had. I was ahead of the story. Now, these days, it's hard to get that kind of edge. Everybody pretty much knows everything at once. Edges do exist, though, and we do our best to present them every night. Interpretations of news and events can augment those edges, and analysis is very important. But back then, I had the pure play. I took everything I had, everything, everything I'd saved, and I made a ton of money as the SPS story unfolded. Enough money that I decided I would look around the office for more ideas where I had an edge. I was writing about lawyers who were working on mergers and acquisitions back then, and it was clear, you know, all the public ones, and it was pretty clear that the hot field for M&A was always about oil and gas. One after another, they were being gobbled up. So I figured, geez, why don't I find one that hasn't been gobbled up yet. So back to that library to read about the industry. Sure enough, I found a company called Natomas, which had just discovered a large fine in Indonesia. I took another chunk of money. Remember, we were talking about, say, like 300 bucks and bought that stock. I don't think I had to wait very long before I caught another takeover bid. At that point, I was hooked. That changed everything for me. Changed my whole career plans. Yep, I put uh, money into my mutual fund, but anything left, it went into individual stocks. And I made enough money to pay for my first year of law school when I decided to go back to become an attorney. Now, I know already that there are people who are out there who will say, wait a second, none of this is possible today. First, uh, the research, which was so scanty back then, is everywhere now, courtesy of the web. Second, anybody can Google any company and know how it's doing in a nanosecond. And I, I, you would have known that SPS, which was later taken over a huge premium by Precision Castparts, Parts, which then subsequently got a bid from Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, was hiring and doing well. Third, there are now rules that make it so it's really hard to get any sort of edge because companies have to have full and fair disclosure of all news or be prosecuted by the government. That means some would say you can't possibly game stocks at all, and you might as well buy an index fund. You know I am not against that. I was investing in individual stocks right alongside a much bigger percentage of my savings in the best mutual fund of the time. Still, though, I recognize that you can study and you can pick worthwhile stocks that might be doing better than the average stock and that can indeed augment your savings provided you do it right, have some edge, and stay current on the company. So here's the bottom line. Remember American agronomics and SPS. If you only know what one person says in the media, me or the writer of Forbes or anyone else, and you buy, I am telling you right here, right now, that's not good enough. It's a start. Better to have genuine insight that others might not have, especially if it's against the grain of the consensus. Then you increase the odds of that investment succeeding. It is, in the end, about the odds. And any hard work and thinking you can do to increase those odds in your favor is going to make it more likely than not that you will succeed as a do it yourself investor, which in the end should be the exact reason why you watch this show. Joe in New York, Joe. Booyah, Jim, this is Joe from Kings Park, New York. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Just a quick thank you for sharing your wisdom with your viewers. We most certainly appreciate it. Thank well, you. Well, I got a great staff that helps me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my question is this. If I want to diversify and add three or four companies to my portfolio for the long term, but by diversifying, I would only be able to buy two or three shares of each company, or would it be better to buy 10 shares of one of them? Basically, what is the least amount of shares you would invest? Uh, 10 shares is well. I I've done many times I've owned 10 shares. I've done two or three shares at various times in my career. Remember, though, I do favor an index fund for your first investments, and only if you've maxed out on index funds would I suggest that you buy an individual stock. All right, nobody said investing was easy. That's why I come out here every night, to help you put the odds in your favor. It requires genuine insight, time, and hard work on your part, but don't worry, you know what? We'll do it together. So stay with Kramer. Hi,
0: Jim. what's your program every day. I love it. You are currently coaching three generations
1: of my family. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. I'm here with my son, Jonathan, who's nine years old and loves your show. I love your show. I love it when kids are involved. Jim, thanks for everything you do for us. I wanted to thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. We're going to get through this together. We're going to be constructive. We're not going to be pessimistic. We're going to be realistic. We believe in diversification and the S&P Index Fund is still the best single diversification method ever invented our world is a better place with you in it we thank you for all you do tonight i'm telling you how to increase the odds of successful individual investing using stocks for my personal history as a metaphor to tell the whole story We have gone over why we start with index funds. We have seen the wrong way to invest by examining a failed investment of my dad's national video. And we have seen the right way through a couple of stocks I bought before I went to law school, all of which were ahead of the publicly available data curve back then. Now, while at law school, I managed to trade pretty much daily using personal insights and going to the Harvard Business School Library, which had everything available at the time that you could dream of, including the research from uh, pretty much every major brokerage house, as well as what we called microfiche of SEC filings of individual stocks. So what if it was about a month old when we got them? It was certainly better than nothing. During that time in law school, we saw the beginning of the indexing of individual stocks. We saw the bundling first of the stocks, followed by the Value Line Company. That was an influential research firm at the time, still around. And then ultimately the S&P 500. I didn't think much of when I bundled that S&P 500 back then. I just didn't. I was more interested in individual stocks, and I had some big scores, all of which you can read about in Confessions of a Street Addict. But at no point did these changes cool the ardor for individual stocks. In fact, the heyday for stock was just beginning by the time I was at law school. Hence why I put a stock a week on my answering machine and almost all made money, thank heavens. We were coming out of a prolonged period of subpar market performance with the 30-year treasury peaking in the low teens. That's right, interest rates were about four times, five times what long dated bonds are now. And money coming into stocks in the fervor, well, let's just say it was all beginning. How do I know this? Simple. When I started on commission in 1984 at Goldman Sachs, I used to get a call every day from none other than my mother who absolutely loved the stock market and would call for quotes on her favorite stocks. I'd gotten her interested in stocks in the early 80s, and she chose to invest in the way Peter Lynch had started to teach all of us back then, buy what you know and stay on top of it. She had been shopping in Giant Food, which was a very progressive supermarket chain at the time, and she asked me if it were publicly traded. She had bought about 35 shares and was itching to buy more. What I would do was sometime, something I would often d- tell you to do, I would read up on the Wall Street research and marry her experiences at the chain, right, personal insight, with the fundamentals of the grocery business. Goldman had what was known at the time as the Axe, the best analyst on the street on supermarkets. And I would read what he had to say about Giant versus the other firms. He really liked it. I had the luxury of those days also of having a friend, Tommy Tisch, from the Lowe's Corporation, who would send me a big gym bag of research from other firms, including firms that wrote about grocery stores pretty much every week. So here was the process of homework back then. You like an idea through personal experience, giant food. You read up about it with the best research. You match those insights with those of other firms. If the Axe liked it more, you might have a slight imperfection as other analysts got on board started recommending it. It was particularly helpful if the Axe were to trace out the game plan because if there was terrific growth, especially regional going to national growth, that would mean investors would only pay up more than for other companies in its sector. Meaning the multiple, which is the price we pay, uh, we are willing to pay for future earnings or the price to earnings multiple, the P.E., could go higher. These days, everything's so much easier. While Giant Food was subsequently bought by a Dutch company, had it stayed public, you could have gone to its webpage and it would have most likely have everything you want, including a stock price, which, by the way, is available everywhere. No need to call the broker anymore. Now, of course, the negative here is that everyone's got equally public, (laughs) same info, equal public information. But the original insight by my mother was the starting point. You can't substitute for that. No. As an aside, my late mom never lost her interest in stocks. She took sick with cancer in 1985, and she would call me at every day at 930 to get her quotes on Giant and other stocks she followed when the market opened. She, she did it to stay alert and to stay connected to me. Goldman Sachs ultimately gave me as much time off as I needed to spend with her before she died. But I never forgot how easy it was for a parent and a son or daughter to talk about stocks, which is a major reason some of you watch the show. And I pledged to my mom that one day I would do something more creative than just make money with money. Something fulfilled years later by this show. Now, it is important to know that despite all of these different inputs, the process of picking winning stocks can be upended by events, as we know from the Great Recession, or by execution of the company itself and the power of its competitors to knock it off in stride. Which brings me to the fifth stock in our saga, Gantos. Anybody remember Gantos? Here was a woman's apparel chain that the Goldman Sachs Research Department loved and had a close relationship with. It was heavily promoted by the firm. I tried to get my father to buy stock in the chain, but he would hear nothing of it. I asked him why, because we had the best analysts on the street. He said, because no one goes there. I told him that was impossible. It was way too highly rated by Goldman. My father said, all right. Then let's take a trip to Franklin Mills, a giant outlet uh, mall outside of Philadelphia. Then my father used to go, as he called on merchants to see if they needed any of his boxes and bags. There was a Gantos in one of the mall's many nooks, and my father said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit on this bench. We're going to camp out in front of Gantos, busy Saturday, and make a judgment ourselves whether anybody goes in and goes out and buys anything. You know, we sat there for hours and hours talking and watching. And only about a dozen people entered the darn store. And I couldn't recall even if we saw one guy coming out, one woman coming out with a bag. I shorted the company that Monday and stayed short pretty much until the whole thing went to zero and got liquidated. Another lesson learned. Wall Street research can be very wrong. Gantos made me skeptical. I never forgot that exercise. Now to put all this in perspective, I am offering a way that this show can bolster the process. I infuse the show with all of the lessons here. I try to imagine my mother being a caller. I try to keep the skepticism of the Gantos lesson that my father taught me. I try to figure out how I can help through, uh, through presenting you the Giants and the Gantoses so you can understand the process of good investing. Most of all, I want to show you that it isn't reckless to try to pick individual stocks, and those who say it is just don't understand the process of first-hand experience married with research buttressed by skepticism. It all increases the odds of successful individual stock investing while minimizing the risk of single stock ownership. So here's my bottom line. My mom was no genius at stocks, but she did have a genuine interest. My dad was a genius at retail, and I would like to think that some of that rubbed off on me. Stay with Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. Alex, look forward to your show
0: every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me.
1: When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. talking tonight about the notion of individual investing and recognizing how I try to teach you how to analyze stocks you might pick if you have the time and inclination. Again, if you don't, you can keep watching, but I want you to invest in index funds, not individual stocks. Why? Because I can't have you buy a stock on a tip and do no research. I want you to have an edge or a catalyst or a personal experience where you can match that experience with homework, principally research. And the knowledge gleaned from the company's website, but recognizing that you must be skeptical at all times. Now, though, let's get to the final piece of the puzzle that eludes so many of you and make the process far more mystical than it seems. Let's talk about Heinz, the ketchup company that was bought not that long ago by a consortium that includes Warren Buffett. When I decided to leave Goldman Sachs after four fabulous years to open my hedge fund, the first stock I bought was Heinz. Why did I do it? because I was looking to own a stock that represented a call on a great management team that could deliver earnings through thick and thin. At that point, it was a classic growth stock, moving from the first world to the third world. We used to call it that before it became a developing economy, and therefore it had a clear growth path ahead for multiple years. Plus, at a time when the Japanese were nipping at our companies and the Chinese were just becoming a world power, I was confident that we would never have Asian ketchup on the picnic table. That proved to be right. But what I didn't count on were the performance demands on the hedge fund manager class. As long as I was at Goldman Sachs recommending stocks, I needed to find uh, those that I could always suggest my clients buy more of in case they went down. That way I wasn't wrong, so to speak, and would run the risk of losing a client. I could just reiterate my buy. But perform- performance management has its own set of rules. And it was learning them on the fly that really got me, well let's just say, down on my luck. Just buying stock because you knew it was terrific didn't matter to my new investors in my fund. They wanted performance, often daily performance. And uh, I started my fund at a time when the economy was just beginning to heat up. Heinz was a staple with a good dividend. And what I didn't understand at the time was when the economy heats up. People dump these kinds of stocks for something more cyclical, and they do it in a blink of an eye. I watched as Heinz and other best-of-breed companies like Bristol-Myers that I owned drop and drop and drop some more. They were caught in what I didn't even realize. It was a rotation into stocks of companies that were diversified industrial machinery businesses with earnings that would heat up, start popping. I didn't get that if I wanted to perform daily. I realized I'd have to dump my Heinz and my Bristol Myers, start buying Reynolds Metals and Phelps Dodge, to name a few yesteryear mining and mineral companies. Nevertheless, I had this clause in my contract with my investors. It was a silly one in retrospect, but one demanded by one of the guys, which was if my fund dropped by more than 10%, I would have to open the doors and let people out of their contract with me. I noticed each day my fund sank and sank and sank because it was filled with best of breed and not what was fashionable. Finally, when I had fallen to 9%, we booted all my faves and started playing that rotation game, quickly got to even, and then much more so. It was a sobering lesson I never forget. If you want to perform on a daily basis, as so many hedge funds have to do, you got to take action. You can't just sit there and get your head handed to you because you own best-of-breed companies. There's only one problem. This rotation game is not one you can play at home without being almost a full-time professional. Here's why. As that year progressed, the economy got hotter and hotter and hotter. And these stocks just kept getting higher and higher. At a certain point, though, things got too hot. People started worrying about interest rates going higher. Don't we know all about that? And the next thing you know, the stock market, it crashed. All those cyclical plays were decimated. So were Bristol-Myers and Heinz initially. But you see, they snapped right back. And that's what happens to the best of breed, well-managed companies. So let's come back to the show itself. Remember, I have, to, I have now told you to use an index fund no matter what, and then only buy individual stocks with mad money using the right way, not the wrong way. Here, though, I have detailed how a rotation can derail the best of the best for a short period of time. What we do in Mad Money is to try to explain right up top why your stocks might not be following the fortunes of the companies underneath because of things like rotations and so-called macro events. Then I try to show you that as a home gamer, you can use the flailings of the hedge fund performers to your own advantage by picking up best-of-breed companies. I do that basically through the longer pieces that use stocks as examples of what's happening, and also by bringing on executives to learn about their stories. See if they fit into what's right or what's wrong in the mad money worldview. I've seen the best of breed always does win out in the end, though, whether it be after the great crash of 87 or the great recession of 2007, 2009. My job is to keep an eye on that prize for you and to explain why the market may not be reflecting accurately what's going on at actual companies. And that's your chance to get in them at reasonable prices. I augment these views with my other works and my writings of mine. Most notably, my book, Get Rich Carefully, which got a lot of this stuff, as well as my blog on real money, paid side of the street, and my charitable trust, which you can follow along at ActionOrgePlus.com. That's a way to show you how big money works by playing with an open hand. It's more of an exhibit with emails than a performance fund, given my tough, tough restrictions. That's okay. It can help you understand the rotations better than anything out there while producing some good profits for charities. I'm proud that I've given away more than $2.3 million since the charitable start the inception. All along the way, I've had your interest to be a better investor at the heart of the show. I want you to understand how it works and how the machinations of the pros intertwine with how a home gamer should invest. A product of my more than 35 years of trying to figure it out myself. I know that the show is not perfect. I've made my share of mistakes. I favor companies that didn't work out or didn't do my own homework correctly. I know that I have a reputation, not really deserved, I feel, for being too bombastic. All I'm really trying to do is keep you informed in an entertaining way, knowing that if you didn't do that, if I didn't try to make it a little bit of fun, it would have failed commercially years ago, and I would have let down my mother, my father, and all you home gamers years and years ago. The education is what it's about, as long as you know that the bottom line is that I'm doing my job, and hopefully doing it right. Stay with me. I get your tweets all day. Try to answer as many as I can. But today, I thought I'd give my hands a break. Dig into some of your tweets right here on Mad Money. At Derg Syndrome, wrote at Jim Cramer, in real money, he means the book, you said to be aware of firms financed heavily with debt. Is there a certain debt ratio or percentage to avoid hashtag mad tweets? Uh, Actually, if you go to stay mad for life, I've actually got a lot of rules about that. But the main thing you have to do is you have to be sure that the debt they have, the interest that they have to pay, isn't overwhelmed uh, it doesn't overwhelm the company. In other words, can the cash flow pay for that interest? And that's what you're looking at: cash flow versus interest. Here we have at number two. I at Jim Cramer hashtag Cramer Q. Is there any virtue murder possibility of returning to the gold standard? No, we we don't want that. That uh, pegs it in a way that makes us so we have no flexibility whatsoever. However, I do think that owning some gold is always a good idea. You can do it through the bullion or the GLD, or uh, periodically I might recommend a stock, but those are the best ways. Check this out. We have at Dolan Brian J., who said, At Jim Cramer, great morning on the West Coast, teaching my five-day-old day the value of investing at early age or may have money at CNBC. What can I say? That kid's, you know what that kid has? Horse Sense at Tramlin uh, wants to know, At Tramblin? Okay. At Jim Cramer, hashtag high-quality companies. Could you define precisely value, good cash flow, low debt, momentum? What is the quality? Everything gets sold. Okay, it's best of breed. High-quality company means it is acknowledged to be the corporate leader in its sector. That's what I want. And if the sector's a good one and this is the the best of breed in the sector, I think you're going to have a good long-term investment. I prefer for you to wait until one of we get these periodic moves down that are caused by some sort of exogenous event. That's when you pull the trigger. Buy good quality companies at prices you like. At Norby wants to know. At Jim Cramer, we know that money never sleeps. But do you? I've always had a sleeping problem. My sister has a sleeping problem. My father had a sleeping problem. We cannot stay asleep as long as we'd like, and that's why you see me tweeting at 340. Next, at Chewy eight two eight six is wondering at Jim Cramer, who are some short sellers worth following and learning from. Well, you know what? This is an industry where what I'm looking for is actually the best shorts, not the best short sellers, because what I found is that periodically the best short sellers are in the wrong stocks. They're all shorting the same stock. So I like to look at the companies case by case. Here's Atlas Maniac at Jim Kramer. Your 6 p.m. shows have replaced the nightly news. Amazing coverage. Well, I still like the nightly news, but I really appreciate that. And I'm glad you watch it when it's on air. Uh, you get the scoop on the people who uh, tape it and watch it later. Now, uh, up we have at CJP underscore TEO at Jim Kramer. Professor, so glad you are helping us. I read every Action Alerts Plus uh, alert. Very helpful. Thank you for the extra TV hours as well. Never miss one. Thank you. ActionAlertsPlus.com is a companion newsletter to my charitable trust. It's my own money in a trust, which I then send to a charity and uh, write about it while I'm doing it to analyze it. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you next time.